I'm Nora McInerney, and this is Terrible. Thanks for asking. And I got a couple of things to say. This chair squeaky. I got some things to say to you. One, I'm joined in the studio today by my senior producer, Hans Buto. He picked the squeaky chair, which I think says a lot about him, because Hans would never complain <laughs> about anything. But the chair is doing it for him, and I find that really symbolic. The squeaky chair gets replaced. (laughs) Why would you say that? Because you just switched chairs. And also because it's true. (laughs) I'm trying to um, just reinforce all of our deepest fears, which is that if we complain about anything, we'll just be replaced by something quieter. (laughs) Um. That's not where this episode is going. Also, that's not true. It is in the case of Hans's chair. He did switch chairs, but um, anyway, in the very first episode of Terrible Thanks for Asking, episode number one, you met my friend Mo. You look like John Bon Jovi, and I look like uh, his brother, <laughs> Stephen. <laughs> Excuse me, it's Jonathan. Jonathan Bon Jovi. <laughs> Mo is, oh, God, I love Mo. Mo's also a widow. She is my co-founder of the Hot Young Widows Club, which is a real club. We started it mostly as a joke, but now it's a real thing. And not just for people who are young. I get asked that question a lot. Not just for women, not just for people below a certain age, not just for people of certain hotness. I think you're hot no matter what. It's just a goofy name, and as long as your partner, boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, romantic partner, semi-romantic partner, I don't know. If you lose the person that you were going to be with, that you plan to be with, you're in the club. It's a high price to pay, but it is, um, I mean, it's worth it for the (laughs) t-shirts. We do have t-shirts. We also just got membership cards. It says widow card. And you can just play it at any time. I'm almost looking forward to being pulled over and just pulling that widow card and being like, officer, um, my husband died almost five years ago, so I think we could let this one slide. (laughs) At some point in our lives, we all join a club that we don't want to belong to. We lose a partner or we lose a child. We lose a job. We just lose We find ourselves in a life we never planned to live, wearing a label that we never wanted. I didn't want to be a widow. I therefore did not want to be a part of any widow club. When Aaron, my husband, was sick with brain cancer, I didn't want to join any kind of support group. So I didn't because I didn't want to be a cancer person. I just wanted to be a person. I didn't want Aaron to be a cancer person. I just wanted us to live our lives and have cancer take up, like, the extra space, only the space that it absolutely required. That was a cute idea, but cancer will take up all the space that it wants. It, it truly does not care what your plan is for it. If we're lucky, and Aaron and I were, all things considered, we end up at the right intersection of resources and prognosis and medicine and cancer might slink away into the background, maybe forever, 
or for a little while. And if we aren't as lucky, it takes over. It takes over a life, a body, a family. And even after it's won, it remains. It's a shadow that follows us. It's a parasite that burrows in like that weird earworm that gets inside Chekhov in Star Trek Wrath of Khan. That is, that's a sentence Hans wrote. And I just read it and was like, I have no idea the words that are coming out of my mouth. Yeah, Star Trek Wrath of Khan. You guys, you don't know that I'm a huge Star Trekker? Trekkie? Trekster. Trekster. No, it's Trekkie. Okay. Huge. Oh, get me in those stars. That's what I say. That's a sentence I did not write. Hans did, but it is accurate, I'm told. When I have a strange pain in my left boob, is that cancer? I mean, I just assume that it is. When my son's lymph nodes looked inflamed, is that cancer? What cells are multiplying inside of us, inside the people we know, undetected? So, my friend Mo, she didn't want to be a widow either. Her husband Andrew didn't have cancer, but he did have something else growing inside of him, completely unknown to her. He had thoughts that he was worthless, unworthy, that Mo and their son Bronson and the entire world would be better off without him. Mo never knew that Andy had these thoughts, not until it was too late. And then those same thoughts took root inside of her, too. After Andrew's suicide, she spent night after night wandering her home, wearing a path in her carpet while she literally just walked in circles. She thought that she, too, was worthless, that their son would be better off without her, that maybe things would be better for everyone if she weren't here. But that was almost five years ago. Recently, Mo and I got in my car and took a road trip for my new book, The Hot Young Widows Club. It's the same name as the club that we co-founded, but it's not about the club. It's just about grief, all kinds of grief. It's a grief guide for the grief-stricken, for the grief-adjacent. Mo and I got in my car and we drove to Madison, Wisconsin, and then Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and then to Chicago, Illinois, and then back home to Minnesota. It was so much fun. It was so much fun. For nearly 24 hours, I was a vegan because Milwaukee, vegan town USA, Aside from all the cheese and the brats, they have a ton of really good vegan restaurants. I accidentally booked two hotels for the wrong night because I'm a logistical genius. Mo and I sat in a very, very small hot tub in a hotel. It felt more like we were sharing a mid-sized bathtub together. I ate so many snacks that I threw up in the middle of the night. Like you, like, like you would at a sleepover if you ate too much junk food because your mom is right. Eating three bags of chips for dinner at 11 p.m. That's not dinner. You're going to get a tummy ache. 
Also, Mo heard me and was like, ah, oh, she's too far gone. I can't help her. Throwing up in the middle of the night might not sound fun, and it wasn't, but I do laugh about it because it also means I have yet to take a trip with Mo where I don't throw up. I have a 100% rate of throwing up if I go on a trip with Mo. I don't know. I can't say that about anyone else I know and love. Other highlights of this trip include Mo making me laugh so hard I peed my pants in an elevator, uh, a cake that looked exactly like the book cover that we couldn't eat because it was full of gluten and dairy, but it was beautiful. And other people seemed to enjoy it. And a full four days together. That is such a rare thing to be able to do with anyone, let alone a friend who is also a parent. Just four days of friendship. It's wonderful. Lowlights of the trip include... All the roadkill we saw. Oh my gosh, so many dead animals that almost made it across the highway. Not just deer, either. Those are pretty common here. They still make me sad, though. Uh, Mammals. Oh, seeing a dead mammal. It's always going to make me sad. Also, turkeys. Several raccoons, which also makes me sad because they seem very human. They have hands. A porcupine. I'm pretty sure it was a porcupine. We were driving kind of fast. And what I think was a wolf, but Mo says was not a wolf, we will never know. But I do think it was a wolf. I'm not a travel blogger or a travel podcaster, and I think we're all grateful for that because I just listed roadkill. I'm a feelings podcaster, and we had a lot of feelings on this trip. We were giddy, we were hungry, we were tired, we were excited, we were uh, trying to meditate but not doing a good job at it. We had tight hamstrings. That's a physical feeling, but it counts. If you're sitting too long, that will happen to you as well. We were thirsty. Got to stay hydrated on the road. It's very difficult to do because also then if you drink too much water, you got to keep pulling over. There's not as many rest stops when you're driving through rural Wisconsin. We just had a lot of feelings barreling down the highway at exactly three miles over at the speed limit using cruise control because I'm not trying to get a ticket in western Wisconsin. We'd walk into these bookstores with all these feelings. We'd talk about all these feelings. And then we ended each event with a Q&A, which can go typically one of two ways. The first is no one wants to ask a question and you just sort of stand up there like a dummy or people ask you really really intense questions. We had the second one, which is honestly my favorite. I strongly prefer being asked hard, difficult, emotional questions to just standing up there with a microphone like, anyone? Uh, Anyone? Uh, Last call for questions. No questions? I will start calling on people randomly. Be warned. we did get asked questions. And the questions we got were not surprising because they're the questions that I get all the time. And I'm ready to answer them for you here because I'm sure you have them too. In fact, right now, shout your question at your phone, your radio, your smart speaker, and I'll see if we have time to get to it by the end. If podcasts don't work that way, they should. Let's just try it. Just start yelling. 
Those questions and more roadkill facts after the break. And we're back. I did some Googling, and now I'm actually very sure that I saw a dead porcupine and a dead wolf. And I am sadder about that. Porcupines, honestly, they're all talk. Like, they're so vulnerable. Oh, like, they look so scared. They're just really big mice. Oh. Enough about roadkill. Um, If you want all my roadkill talk, you're going to have to tune into my other podcast. Cruising with Norn. Mammal watch with Norn. Is that a mammal? Join me. I we're still brainstorming ideas, but we were just about to have a little Q&A, a little FAQ Q&A, right? Because they're frequently asked questions that I will answer because they're the questions that I get in general. Instead of just putting them in my Instagram stories in 30-second bursts, I thought I'll just put them here where I can put longer things. And quick note, I don't think I heard your question if you yelled it at your phone. So just take a moment and yell it louder and slower. Here we go. Question one. Do you have guilt after your husband died? Uh, yes and no. I don't think Aaron's death was my fault. I don't think there's anything I could have done to change the outcome because I'm not an oncologist or any kind of medical professional. And yes, I have guilt. Not every single day, not all the time. It's like, it's like this. At my very worst, I think... Aaron was the best. He was. I think Aaron didn't deserve this. He didn't. And then I think, I'm not, I'm not great. If there was a choice between the two of us having brain cancer and dying at age 35, out of the two of us, I deserved it. And I feel guilty that Aaron's dead and that I'm alive. Even though I know I didn't cash him in for this life I have now on my very worst days, I do think, oh, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve any of this. I don't deserve to have ever had Aaron, to have my current husband, to have our blended family. I don't deserve this job or any of my other jobs. It's survivor's guilt because I did survive. And on my very best days, I think, what does deserving it have to do with anything. It's irrelevant. Aaron didn't deserve brain cancer, of course, but he didn't have a choice. And I didn't either. But the rest of my life, this version of my life that I'm currently living, that's the result, the compounding, the sum, I don't know math terms, of the choices that I did have. And of the risks that I did take, and those risks and this life, that's the only way I can honor Aaron. 
I have this friend, Mary Balcom. She was friends with my mom first, but now I consider her a friend. And her husband died of brain cancer uh, the year that I met Aaron. And when Aaron was diagnosed, Mary sent me an email. And she said to me, I believe we have a sacred responsibility to live fully in the face of our losses. It's a bitch, though. So when I think of my life, I think that I took on that responsibility to live fully in the face of these losses and not to just live happily, like, oh, everything is fine now, but to live fully, to feel the loss and to continue to live, to feel the good when I have it. Aaron was very, very good at living, at being present, at feeling wherever he was. He had this really magical ability of making you feel like you belonged wherever you were. If you walked into a party or a conversation or into, you know, line at the coffee shop and you caught his eye and you made conversation with him, he made sure that you felt like you were supposed to be there. So what do I serve by shutting myself down around his loss instead of being propelled by his life, by his life and the way that he lived? Like, who benefits from that? Not me, not Aaron, not his memory. So days when I think that and I believe that, that I'm propelled by his life instead of closing myself up around his death, those are my best days. And none of us live 100% in our worst days or our best days. That would be exhausting. We would just, I'm just imagining like little, like robots just like, like powering down. Like you just, if you live in 100% in either of those spaces, like not sustainable. Most of us, I think, just end up somewhere in the middle, somewhere between feeling guilty and feeling grateful. Okay, question number two. I lost someone I love and nobody around me gets it. How do I help them get it? So here's the thing about grief. It's the great equalizer eventually. But we all get there at different times, and it's really hard to teach someone something that you're learning for the first time yourself. I am a level four in Spanish on Duolingo, but I can't teach you Spanish very well unless you want to get to only level (laughs) 0.5. But I can definitely ask you, ¿Dónde está la biblioteca? ¿Cómo estás? ¿Puedo ir al baño, por favor? The crappiest thing is that when we are at the center of impact, when we are in the center of grief and learning that language for the first time, 
we're in charge. We're in charge of our own grief. We're in charge of figuring out how to set that tone for the people who care about us. So the tone I set, which I don't recommend, is I told everyone I was fine and I didn't need any help and I was doing great and I kept my pain to myself unless I was angry, in which case I just, I took that anger and I used it to breathe fire on anyone and everyone, like a main character in a recent cable TV show with a controversial penultimate episode that shall remain nameless so nobody can accuse me of spoiling it for them. So nobody got it. Nobody got it because um, I didn't let them get it. I made sure I was impossible to understand because I didn't understand it myself and I wasn't ready to. And honestly, most people won't get it. They won't get it until they get it, which means until they lose someone, until they're feeling the kind of pain you are feeling. People who care about you won't get it. People who don't care about you won't get it. You'll feel like a weirdo alien because you basically are. But a lot of people want to get it, and they can't without information. And that information is information only you have. They can't understand without knowing how you really feel. And you can't know how you really feel unless you feel it. It's this big tangled knot and you are the one who can pull the first thread. The other thing is some people don't get it, don't want to, and will not. They will not empathize with you. They will not understand. And your relationships with those people will change or fade or disappear. And that is going to hurt so bad. And it's also okay. I say that from a distance of almost five years, looking around at the people who are in my life now who are not all the same people who were in my life when Aaron was sick or when he wasn't sick. There are people that I couldn't be friends with anymore. There are people that I miss a lot. In their absence, it still hurts sometimes, and their absence also made room for new people. People like Mo and the rest of the Hot Young Widows Club. People like Hannah and Hans. Uh, If you want people to get it, you have to make sure that you get it or that you can at least say, I don't know. I don't know how, how I feel or what I want or what to ask of you. Question number three. I wanted to write a book about my dead husband, but you beat me to it. So this is not technically a question, but it's also not limited to just books either. People always want to let me know that they had an idea for a podcast or a book or you know, a a club about something sad, but that I did it. I already did it. And yeah, I did make a podcast where I interview people about hard subjects, but I'm not the first one, not the only one, and I'm not you. I'm not you, so your podcast will be different, even if you legally change your name to Nora McInerney and hire a man named Hans Buto, even if your logo is a crying eye, it will be different. Because you are you, and you bring yourself and all of your experiences to everything that you create. 
In fact, this show, this one that you're listening to, is different from when it started because I am different than the Nora that started it. Yes, I wrote a book about my husband dying, but not about your husband dying, and not about all husbands in the world dying. Your story is yours, and it is yours to write or not write, to share or not share, and it has value, whether it's read by a million people or absolutely zero. So go write your book, make your podcast, form your own club. Just go do your thing. Question number four. How do you talk to your kid about your dead person? I just do. Truly, I just do, and I always have. I talk about my dead dad and my dead grandparents. I talk about dead people all the time with my kids because I am the fun parent and because death isn't something that they need to fear. It doesn't delete a person from your life or from your memory. And Aaron is Ralph's dad, so not talking about him is not really an option. It's not an option to not talk about him. I don't know how to say that. It's not not an option. It's not not to not talk about him. Not not an option. Look, the point is, of course we talk about him. I don't sit Ralph down and say, now, Ralph, remember, your dad is dead. He died. Your dead dad is dead. Never forget it. Aaron's just, uh, Aaron's a part of life in our house. He has a portrait in our living room. We I tell his stories. The kids retell his stories. We laugh at his photos, his videos. When a song comes on that Aaron loved, I tell Ralph, I tell all the kids, Aaron loved this song. When a song comes on that Aaron would love, Ariana Grande, Seven Rings, I say Aaron would have loved this song. When Ralph reminds me of Aaron, which he does every single day, I say, you are being so much like your papa right now. And sometimes that's a compliment. And sometimes I'm like, you got to. Can drive me nuts. But Ralph isn't my only child. And when the big kids do or say things that remind me of Aaron or would make Aaron laugh, I tell them because they know Aaron too. Not in the way I do, not in the way Ralph does, but they know him. And so does my current husband, Matthew. Which brings me to this question. Why am I still so sad? 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 People ask this when it's been weeks or days or years or decades. I get this question literally every day. Email, DM, in the grocery store. That's really only happened once. But why am I still sad? People ask because they feel like it's wrong to be sad at this point in time, whenever this point in time is. Like, shouldn't this feeling have expired by now? Haven't they used up all their sadness? Shouldn't they have transitioned to a different kind of feeling right now, be traversing a different emotional landscape? First things first, you know, in this TTFA family, we do not should on one another or on ourselves if we can help it. Beyond that entire ecosystem of should, it's fear. It's this fear that this sadness is wrong, 
that it's unappealing to people, that it's going to make it hard for anyone else to possibly love them. And it's a language issue. It's not that you're either sad or not sad. It's not this light switch. Sad, not sad. Sad, not sad. Click, 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 click. If you live in a fancy house with a dimmer switch, good for you. <laughs> wow, adjusting that light. It's not like, mm, yeah, maybe it is more, it's more like a dimmer switch, in which case, more sad, less. <laughs> sad, just, it should, it should definitely not just have one name. It's not even really a single emotion. It's, on, it's like four billion different emotions, like um, shades, shapes. We don't have words for it. It is a they. Sometimes they're all hiding. No one's there. It's really quiet, like the weird silence before a big storm. And sometimes they just come over you like ants on a blob of peanut butter and jelly that your five-year-old spilled out of his sandwich at the park. Why did he have a sandwich in his pocket? Who knows? And other times, they're like a kaleidoscope of intertwining, conflicting, swirling combinations of those four billion feelings, all shouting at their own volume and moving at their own pace. Some are slow and noisy. Others are fast and hard, kind of ruthless. And others are late to the party, but definitely brought enough cheap booze for everyone. Here's some crack off. Oh. Puke reflex to myself saying the word crack off. I just got, I got puke goosebumps from remembering the taste of that nail polish remover. Slash vodka. I don't know how your grief should be going. I do know this. That since I lost Aaron and Mo lost Andy, our lives have moved forward. I'm married to a man named Matthew. We have a blended family of four kids. We have a rescue shih tzu. Mo lives with her boyfriend and her son and her boyfriend's son. So... That trip where all this started, where we did all these FAQ (laughs) Q&As. Mo and I took that trip together, a trip filled with highlights, lowlights, roadkill, and you know what happened? We felt sad. So let's all take a minute to hear about some amazing deals, and then we'll get back to sadness after the break. Uh, I was just telling you about how I felt sad on a book tour. A book tour. I felt sad on a, oh, like, feel bad for me. I have a book. Oh, feel sad for me. I have a podcast. I have a friend. I have a new husband. I have kids. I felt sad. I have a good life, and I felt sad. The last night of our tour, Mo and I sat in a hotel room in Rockford, Illinois. Remember when I said I uh, booked two hotel rooms for one night? We're in just like, I mean, the hotel room could have been anywhere. It happened to be in Rockford, Illinois, but you've stayed in this hotel room all over the country. It's honestly why I love chain hotels. I love a consistent experience. It was very consistent. We had, you know, two beds, Mo on the one near the window, me on the one near the bathroom, because I like to pee like 600 times during the night. (sighs) 
And I looked at Mo. I wear like a matching pajama set, like a, a button-up top, pants. It looks like Mo could be going to like a gym in the 80s <laughs> with her pajamas. I was like, did you wear that today? She's like, no, these are my jammies. I was like, really? Like, <laughs> looks, a lot, looks a lot like your regular clothes. But I looked at Mo and I just, I felt every bit of pain she's experienced since Andy died. I felt Andy, I felt his sadness before he died. I felt Aaron, I felt all of Aaron's suffering and I cried and Mo cried and we cried ourselves to sleep. We cried for our dead husbands. We cried for the men we're with now who have their own lives and their own pain. And then also our pain as well. I don't know. We just cried a lot. The really good kind of cry where the tears feel heavy when they fall out of your eyes, where you are making audible noise. It's a very satisfying cry. The next morning on the drive home, I played some extra sad music. If you are looking for recommendation, Sufjan Stevens' Carrie and Lowell record. Whew. It's a weeper. We got in a little, we got in some extra tears. When I came home to Minneapolis, I felt hungover and I don't drink. So this was an emotional hangover mixed with a snack food hangover. I was heavy, sluggish. I had a headache. And that night I fell asleep early. I fell asleep while Matthew was still picking a show for us to watch. I slept in the next day, and Matthew and I went to the gym together, and afterwards we stopped at the grocery store. And that kind of stuff, I know, that's the good stuff. Those little things are what life is actually made of. That's what love is actually made of. And everything that Matthew does is loving. At the gym, he sets a towel down next to me before class starts afterwards, He gets me an antibacterial wipe for my equipment. When we walk to the car, he always takes my hand. He turns on my seat heater when we get in the car, even when it's warm out, because I'm a monster. I love sitting in a hot car, love sitting on a hot surface. I don't even care what temperature it is. Heat me up. I'm like a a very big lizard. (laughs) Matthew and Aaron aren't much alike, but they're alike in that way. And something about Matthew's warm, living hand holding mine while we pulled into the grocery store parking lot, something about planning a meal for our children who were most likely all spending their morning in our bed watching old cartoons, just cracked something inside of me. And I mean, I was crying again. I said, I don't know how to explain it. And he just hugged me while we rode the escalator towards expensive organic vegetables. I didn't know how to explain it, and he didn't ask me to. Instead, we just picked out broccolini, which is, it's just baby broccoli. We grabbed snacks, sparkling water, and we went home. That night, our friends and our family came over for a cookout. Mo was there, and so was her boyfriend and her son and her boyfriend's son. This whole cookout was this mix of People who had known and loved Aaron. People who had known and loved Andy. And Aaron and Andy weren't there, but they're why we were there. And I don't know how to explain it. It's like sometimes I look at at Ralph and at Bronson, and I see Aaron and Andy. Like, I see them. 
in these kids. When the guests left, we tucked in our kids, and we got ready for bed. I hugged Matthew. I put my face in his neck. It smells so specifically like him. He's got a really natural scent, and not in a, just in a, he smells so much like himself. I really love it, and I thanked him because he did all the work, honestly. He always does. He did all the cooking. He wiped up all the surfaces afterwards. He didn't just make dinner. He'd taken care of the family while I was out on the road with Mo for the better part of a week. And I said, thank you for loving me even though I'm sad. You love me even though you're sad, is what he said back. And that, that was everything. I was still sad. I am still sad. That simple twist of language reminded me that there's something else there, too. Most aha moments aren't just brief flashes of lightning. It's more like a rising sun, spreading light where there used to be darkness. I'm Nora McInerney, and this is Terrible Thanks for Asking. Our senior producer is Hans Buto. Our assistant producer is Marcel Malikibu. Hannah Meekock-Ross, project manager. Ariana Giles, our fresh new intern, fantastic person, has a great YouTube channel. You'll have to find that on your own. Just kidding. I think I've linked to it on Twitter. Not only do these people contribute to the show on a regular basis, they contributed in a new way. They were voice actors. They were asking all those FAQ Q&As. Those are some familiar voices, I hope. Jordan Turgeon? I mean, she wasn't a voice actor, but that's okay. That's okay. She is also a part of the team, no matter what. If I didn't get your question, I apologize. We ran out of time, but keep yelling them at your phone every morning and evening, particularly, I would say, in public places, and I'll get to it when I can. Or you could also just um, message it to me on Instagram. <laughs> either way, either way, we'd probably, we'll probably get to it. You can find my Instagram at, it's just Nora Borealis. That's what, that's what my name is on Instagram. <laughs> You know what? You can find out so many things about me, grief, sadness, fun stuff, sad stuff, um, if you sign up for my newsletter at noraborealis.com. Our theme music is by Joffrey Wilson, and we are a production of APM, American Public Media.